So I'm always honored when Pastor Chris asks if I'll fill in for him in the pulpit. I do not ever take it lightly, um, the responsibility that comes with sharing the gospel with others, whether it be from this pulpit or in the youth room or one-on-one. And I always appreciate the opportunity to speak what God lays on my heart. This morning, I'm going to let you in on a little-known fact about me that you may or may not have heard. From about age 12 until my mid-20s, I was perfect. My mama may argue that I believe this to be true even before the age of 12. I needed things to go the way that I had them planned. If a piece of the plan didn't work out, I looked for blame. I looked at the people and the circumstances around me. Who could have messed up so badly that my plans have been thwarted? It was like I was the superhero And there was a devious villain out there intercepting all my best ideas. And I was very much a can dish it out but can't take it type. Criticism was not my friend. Now I'm my worst critic. Of course, I still don't want you telling me that I did something wrong. I may pout for a minute but I won't unfriend you indefinitely, and I consider that genuine growth. I suppose a lot of teenagers and young adults go through that phase of perfection. This is a time in most everyone's life where they know everything, or there is a time in most everyone's life where they know everything, or at least more than the people around them. I can recall life-altering moments that humbled me in certain areas. I remember teaching youth members when I was in my 20s who were more book smart than me. I always had peers my age who were more studious than I was, but when I started teaching people who were younger than me, who were also smarter than me, I started to realize that I still had a lot to learn. When I was in school, I didn't have the intellectual curiosity that was required to want to learn more than the facts that would be found on the test. Now, and I credit some of this to those moments of being the teacher and not having all the answers, I love to learn. I want to know all of the facts behind the stories. I read the signs and the monuments at the parks. I ask questions to understand all of the whys. And I enjoy listening to the stories that helped form history, whether it be our national, local, or my family and friends' histories. I remember well the day the Lord placed the lesson in patience and love when it came to raising my children. I didn't handle the destruction that comes with small children very well. I didn't place my focus on the fact that they were learning to be humans And their goal was not to actually destroy everything we owned. They wanted to do what I did the way that I did it. They were working hard to become the amazing young man and woman that they are today. I would snap when things were broken. Raising and feeding a family is expensive. I didn't want to and often could not afford to replace things that were broken. I remember vividly. The day that God paused time 
for me to see what being my child looked like through their eyes. Lindsay was somewhere around six or seven, and I was cooking dinner. She wanted to help. So we brought a chair over to the counter for her to stand on. And I measured an ingredient into a relatively new measuring scoop, handed it to her to pour it in the bowl, and told her to be careful. She dumped the ingredient into the bowl and then accidentally dropped the measuring scoop on the hard tile floor where it broke into many little pieces. Just as I was about to lose my mind, my eyes met hers, and there was a look of terror that stopped me in my tracks. She was expecting me to erupt, because that is what history had told her to prepare for. When I say that God paused time, it felt like... All the memories of me being upset and frustrated over the small stuff replayed in my mind. When I finally spoke, I remember very calmly looking her in the face and saying, It's okay. Do you want to help me clean it up? There are no words to describe the smile that appeared on her face and the gleam in her eyes that immediately replaced the fear. I'm not saying that I never lost my cool again, but looking back, I definitely missed out on some amazing moments and some teaching moments when my kids were tiny because I had expectations that did not match reality. What a relief and reassurance to know that when I mess up, big or small, I serve a patient and understanding God who always works out my messes for my good, even when I don't see it, and especially when I don't deserve it. I could go on and on, listing the lessons that I know were placed in my life by God. Lessons to teach me how to be less like me and more like Him. Lessons that have humbled me. Lessons that have encouraged me. Lessons that have allowed me to be a part of someone else's blessing. Lessons that remind me that I still need lessons because I'm not yet the person that he calls me to be. Okay, here's the song. If you know it, help me out. He's still working on me to make me what ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. If you hadn't heard that, I'm glad that I got to introduce that to you. That's an old vacation Bible school song that I used to sing when I was young. When I first started working on plans for this sermon, I knew this would be the topic. But then I began overanalyzing the lyrics of the song and couldn't help but wonder why an entire solar system was easier to finish than me. Then, as if God was answering the question, a small, quiet voice randomly whispered to me. Because I didn't include the sass and the attitude in them, Someday, I'll stop asking the hard questions. Our scripture for this morning comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 6. And I am certain that God, 
who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Do you know what that verse tells me? I will never be complete while I'm in this earthly flesh. Do you want to know what I think about that verse? I think it is one of the most comforting and encouraging truths in the Bible. By show of hands, how many of you have projects around your house that you've started or intended to start years ago, but haven't made a point to complete them for whatever reason? Perhaps a more honest question would be, how many of you have spouses or children or parents who have started projects maybe years ago that they have intended to finish but have not yet completed? How many of you, like me, have set those projects out of the way until you get around to tackling them? There have been times the unfinished or unstarted project became more of a stress factor than something enjoyable, and I wind up giving up on it altogether. His ways are not our ways. He continues to work on each of his children, cleansing, molding, shaping, and creating the person that he wants us to be. He doesn't toss us off to the side and assume he will work on us when he has some free time on his hands. I asked my friends on Facebook earlier this week to tell me where they struggle to reflect Jesus. Too many of us had answers that involved driving, me included, which is strange because that's also where I feel like I can crank my radio up and worship and feel close to Jesus. The answers included um, poorly designed parking lots and road construction, Inconsiderate people while uh, waiting in lines and on the road. Disrespectful children. Tennessee fans. Okay, it was actually geared more toward one particular Georgia fan. But she reverted back to her 13-year-old perfect self and reversed the blame. Love you, Sid. And my best friend who is a teacher, mentioned that it's a daily struggle in the middle school classroom. While I'm in agreement with all of the above, there was one that resonated with me. Forgiveness. We are called to forgive others like we want Jesus to forgive us. In our youth lesson last Wednesday, we used John 15, 12 through 13. It says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. Did you catch the first part of that verse? This is a commandment. It's not optional. When I get angry with my children for doing things that children do, I'm not showing the patience of God. When I harbor bitterness over past defenses, I'm not portraying the forgiveness of God. When I'm not kind to others because maybe they get on my nerves, I'm not showing the unconditional love of God. God is the definition of love. We are told in John chapter 14 that Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Him. 
When Jesus walked the earth, he had such a relationship with God the Father that he couldn't help but to love intensely. His love for others moved him to compassion. It was an immediate reaction to help those who were in need because he is filled with love. We have a relationship with Jesus, and when we feed that relationship with Scripture and prayer and it begins to grow, we are filled with the same love that Jesus had. Our goal should be to have a relationship with Christ that is so deep, so intense, so meaningful, and so real that his love oozes out of us and on to everyone that we come into contact with. All the people. Not just the people in our circle. Not just the people who we share the same sanctuary with. All the people. The people who know how to stand on our very last nerve. The greedy people. The angry people. The people who hurt us. The people who say mean things. And the people who don't understand why you would love them because they don't know Jesus. A result of loving like Jesus is forgiving those who hurt us. It is hard to release the pain when we're focused on events surrounding the situation. But when we are focused on filling our minds and hearts with a love that cannot be described and can only be experienced, there is no room to store the hurt and the anger. Here's a little history lesson. Philippi was the first town in Greece to hear the gospel from Paul when he was on his second missionary journey. From the beginning, there was opposition to Paul's preaching, and he was arrested while he was in Philippi and asked to leave town. However, during his short time there, a group of new believers was formed, and they continued the work that Paul began. Later, Paul received a monetary gift from the Philippians while he was in prison in Rome. So Paul wrote a letter, which is now known as the Book of Philippians, to the church of Philippi to thank them and encourage them and strengthen them while they too faced persecution. Paul was in prison in Rome when he wrote the letter to the church. That doesn't initially seem like a place where one would be uplifted or joyful. He spent a significant amount of time in prison because of his faith in Jesus. He was positive and encouraging and joyful while sitting in a jail cell. The only way to explain that craziness is that our joy is found in the hope of salvation. And salvation is a gift from God the Father through Jesus Christ his Son. Why? Because he so loved the world that he didn't want to see us perish. But he wants us to spend eternity with him. Even those of us who may get on his nerves a little bit, he would like to see us in eternity with him. Paul understood the love that Jesus has for those who believe in Jesus. Paul knew exactly where his joy came from. We struggle to hang on to our joy and sometimes in the drive-thru or on the interstate or in the grocery store. Also, a little ad-lib here, it's a good time to mention that when Paul was in jail, 
He wasn't banging on the bars of the cell with his metal cup, angry and frustrated. He and Silas were worshiping. And because of their worship, God broke the chains of all the prisoners that were in the jail. And when that happened, the guard was so worried. And Paul said, don't take your own life. We're all still here. But because of God's goodness and because of Paul's belief in the salvation of Jesus Christ, he led the guard and his family to Jesus. Do you see the difference? What a difference worship and praise makes in your time of desperation. So we moved into our current home about three and a half years ago. And I started doing youth moments in the spring of 2020. And ever since the summer of 2020, I have thought that I wanted to use the condensation running from our air conditioner for a youth moment. I just couldn't figure out exactly what I wanted my message to be. There were a lot of options. Um, Allowing stress to continue to pour over you will eventually wear you down. If you're persistent and consistent in prayer, your path will be set out before you. Or something that sustains life for some can be the thing that carves out pieces for others. So here's a little video that I took yesterday just to give you an idea of what I was thinking. Is it dripping? I didn't remember it being that long. (laughs) Hey, Jeremy, is that the one that was okay? Well... What, what it's done is, because the, the video is not expanded, but what it's done is, is the water has dripped until it's formed its own little river in the concrete of our driveway. Oh, you do see it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. So I was looking for options to do my youth moment. So many options, but none of those really stood out to me. So three years and a trip to Yellowstone later, I know the message that God has through this dripping water. Our house was built in 1986, so it's about 37 years old. Assuming this condensation began dripping 37 years ago, it has taken approximately 37 summers for the water dripping to etch out the path in our driveway. So often in life, we allow things that we have little or no control over to eat away at us until pieces of us are gone. We can't handle the pressure that the stress is causing, and we buckle underneath the weight. When you look at this little bit of water dripping from the pipe, you wouldn't think that it could cause damage. It's just water, and a small amount at that. No matter how small it is, it has caused a noticeable cosmetic change in the concrete that is our driveway. It isn't very detrimental to the structure of the concrete, and you may not see it initially when you pull up, but there's a definite change in the appearance of the concrete where the water flows. It is the effect of years of enduring and annoying dribble. Years of allowing small amounts of God's goodness to flow through you until you allow the weight of the world to take over again is a frustrating way to live 
It causes burdens that you were never meant to carry. It causes everything from the surface to the deepest parts of your heart to look and feel worn or broken. But when you allow God's love to flow freely in your life, when you allow him to erupt and open the floodgates and let his love flow freely in you, it goes from looking worn and tired to a beautiful, breathtaking landscape. He is then allowed to sculpt away all the parts of you that are holding you back from the goodness that he has intended for you. And you become this beautiful landscape. And when others see you, they can't help but see the mighty, loving God that you serve. His timing is everything. It has been 12,000 years since the eruption that caused the Yellowstone Canyon and the falls. 12,000 years of enormous amounts of water flowing and forming what I believe is one of God's most magnificent creations. At no point has he said, well, that's enough beauty here. I think I'll stop the flow and see what happens. I believe he feels the same thing about those of us who seek his will. He will continue to make us in his image for as long as we have breath. Remember our verse from Philippians 1.6, and I'm certain that God who began the good work in you will continue his work until it is fully finished on the day when Christ returns. I fall short of the glory of God every single day. Some days there are more instances than I care to admit. I can be critical and judgmental and hateful, and rude, and all of the things that God is not. We all can allow things of this world and people in our lives and emotions that run wild to dictate and bring forward our worst behaviors. But every day, every hour, every minute, we are extended a grace and mercy from a loving God, and we are allowed to try to get it right again, And again and again. Why would he do that? Why would he continue to allow us to keep on trying until we get it right? Because we are his masterpiece. And he promises to continue working on and through us until we are on the other side of heaven with him. What a reassurance to know that he doesn't give up on us. And for that, we should be eternally grateful.